Our text this afternoon is Jonah chapter 4, the whole thing. Hear the word of God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. There he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Pray with me, friends. Lord, again I say thank you. You have been so good. Again, I say that we need your grace in Jesus, and that's our only hope. And now I plead with you, God, to open your word to us and bless our reading and our study that we might know you better. Teach us and grow us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Over the past few weeks, not counting last week, we've been on an amazing journey. Jonah was called by God to preach against Nineveh. And Jonah ran in the opposite direction. But no man can escape God. Jonah boarded a ship, was cast into the sea, and was rescued by God. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a great fish and vowed to turn from sin and follow the Lord. God called Jonah again to go preach to Nineveh. When Jonah went, he simply proclaimed the city's coming destruction. God, by his sovereign power, brought about the people's repentance. The book of Jonah is a book about God. In this book, we see the sovereign power and glory of God. In this book, we learn about God's magnificent mercy. And here in chapter 4, we'll learn how much greater is God's mercy than our own. Today, we're going to find three main points as we look at the greatness of God's mercy. So, if you're ready, we'll get started. Point number one, 
God is gracious and merciful. God is gracious and merciful. How many of you like that point already? Yeah. Look at verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was, le- or when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? In order to understand what's going on here, you have to remember who Jonah is and who the people of Nineveh were. Nineveh was a great city, a key city in the empire of Assyria. From, say, 800 to 750 BC, the Assyrian Empire was actually not as powerful as it soon would become. But even in that time frame, the people of Assyria were a threat, a major threat to all the Palestinian nations. When I was growing up as a child of the 1980s, I had to learn to live with certain oddities. In the 80s, women put shoulder pads in their clothing and teased their hair up quite big for no reason anyone could discern. Some of you ladies wore shoulder pads, didn't you? In the 80s, music had a lot of fake drums and synthesizer sounds. And in the 80s, every American kid knew who the bad guys were on the global scene. We were Cold War enemies of the Soviet Union. As a nation, we cheered when the Olympic hockey team beat the Russians in the semifinals of the Lake Placid Winter Games in 1980. You remember that? Do you believe in miracles? Yes! We all cheered when Rocky beat Ivan Drago in 1985. And honestly, none of us believed all that goodwill and brotherhood of man stuff Sylvester Stallone was preaching at the end. When I played computer games on my Commodore 64 personal computer, high-powered machine, one of the games that I played regularly was a game called Raid Over Moscow. Sent a plucky group of pilots from a space station down over Russia, over Russian cities, and you'd fly over the city and you had to destroy the nuclear missile silos in time. And all that aside... Many people we knew in the 80s, and you who remember the 80s know this, there was a fear of the Soviet Union, wasn't there? When I was growing up, we talked a lot about nuclear war. Movies like Red Dawn and The Day After showed us the terrible threat that we faced from the Soviets. And we knew then that communism was an evil, oppressive system of government. And anybody, by the way, who knows their history knows that that's still true today. Communism is pure evil. It intentionally requires atheism and godlessness. We knew back then that the Soviets had a space program 
Anybody remember Sputnik even before the 80s? That may not seem like a big deal to a lot of people today. Sure, the Russians had a space program, but the fact that the Soviets had a space program let us know that they as a nation had the technology to send a missile around the globe and cause it to hit its target city. And to be honest, we knew that the USSR represented the bad guys. And because we feared the Soviet Union and because we knew that the Soviet Union wanted to do us harm and because we knew that they in fact had the power to do us harm, most Americans did not spend a lot of time in the 80s wishing the Russians good fortune. I'm not going to say that the average American wanted to do harm to any individual from the Soviet Union. We weren't necessarily like that. But the fact is... We did not want to see them succeed. And if we knew how to bring that nation down so that they would not be a threat to the rest of the planet, we would have been okay with that happening. That sort of mindset, perhaps even stronger, is what's in play with the prophet Jonah. This man knows that the Assyrians have a brutal culture. Jonah understands that unlike other nations around him, Assyria has learned the value of having a standing army. They, they, didn't, they didn't call up volunteers whenever they wanted to fight. They always had an army. That was new at that time in history. Jonah, he knows that the Assyrians like to conquer other nations and then do terrible things to the people they conquer. And all this rolls together to help us see why the idea that God might have mercy on Nineveh was offensive to the prophet Jonah. Verse 1 says it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. That's a very polite way of pointing to us just how mad Jonah really was. The prophet hated the idea that God would have mercy on Nineveh. He hated it. Verses 2 and 3, Jonah prays but it's not a noble prayer. Jonah prays a prayer of complaint against the Lord God. He, he lets God know that he knew all along God sending him to preach to Nineveh might lead to God having mercy on the people of Nineveh. And that is something Jonah could not stomach. He wanted to see God crush Nineveh. He wanted to see that city burn like Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's why when God called Jonah to go preach to Nineveh in chapter 1, Jonah ran. He wanted not to bring God's rebuke to Nineveh. He just wanted the city to be destroyed. And when Jonah begins to realize that God is in fact having mercy on Nineveh, Jonah prays that he might die. He is suicidal over the fact that God has not wiped out Nineveh. He thinks it's awful. He thinks it's a bad idea. He, th he thinks it's a mistake on the part of God. And in verse 4, the Lord simply asked Jonah if his anger is good. What do you think the answer is supposed to be? I think we would hope that Jonah would eventually see that his anger at God is not good. Little side note question we need to deal with, is it okay to be angry with God? You know, you read some books out there and they'll tell you that, yeah, being angry with God is fine. 
Let it out. Tell God how you feel. He can take it. But if you read other texts, you'll see people argue strongly against that idea. And without really going down this road very far, let me just say to you, there is no way for you or me to be angry with God and not be in sin. Being personally angry at God is always sin. Why would I say that? To be angry with God is to assume that God has done something wrong. But friends, God is holy. God is perfect. God has wronged no single person in all of human history. God has never done something the wrong way. So to have anger against God is to wrongly accuse God. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you are angry with God that you should keep it hidden or bottled up inside you. In prayer, you should talk to the Lord and you should tell God about your anger. Yes, God is big enough to handle it. You can't hurt the God who made the universe. But, and this is important, as you communicate your anger with God, you should also communicate to yourself an understanding that God is holy and you're not. God is God and you're human. God is creator, you are creation. God is all-knowing and you know very little indeed. You know what the funny thing is? When you look and see what Jonah's mad about, it's something that's actually beautiful. Look back at verse 2. Jonah says, That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a, look at this complaint, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah's mad because God is merciful. And you know what? That is something God has always revealed himself to be. You could look it up in Exodus 34, 6, in Psalm 86, 15, Psalm 103, 8, Psalm 145, 8, among other places. I'll give you one, though, that I'll read to you. Joel 2, 13 and 14. It says, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Ezekiel later will highlight God's heart of mercy simply by showing us God say in Ezekiel 18.23, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Jonah's mad that God's merciful, and it's because the mercy of God's being shown to people Jonah doesn't like. But before we talk about how wrong Jonah is for that issue, 
Just stop with me and find some joy this afternoon. Listen to me. God is merciful. Magnificently merciful. If you're alive today, how many of you are alive? All right. Then you already have experienced the mercy of God because if you didn't have his mercy, you'd be dead. If you are forgiven today, how many of you are forgiven? You have experienced the mercy of God. If you can see the blue of the sky, the pink of a sunset, you've experienced God's mercy. Because mercy is when God does not give you the judgment you do deserve. He withholds it that he might do you kindness. God is slow to anger. God abounds in steadfast promise-making, promise-keeping love. God commits himself to do his children good. Then he does it. And that's good, folks. Very, very good. Today, if you will know God rightly, you will see Jonah's angry complaint as a thing which is actually true, gloriously true of God. You'll see it and you will rejoice that God is merciful. God has shown you mercy. And yes, God will have mercy even on people you don't love. Mercy is something God desires to display. And that is to the good of every last one of our souls. Let's move forward. We'll learn more about God and we'll watch God continue to teach Jonah. Point number two... God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Listen to 5 through 8. Jonah went out of the city and sat there, or sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what will become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Once Jonah sees that the people of Nineveh are repenting, once he begins to fear that God might have mercy on them, Jonah heads outside the city and sets up camp. Jonah does not want to leave the region. He wants to watch just in case the people fail and God rains fire down on the city. He wants to see it. He wants a front row seat if in fact he gets to watch Nineveh be destroyed. Now, Nineveh is a desert city. I don't know if any of you all are familiar with living in a desert city or not. But one thing, One thing about living in a desert city in the summertime is it gets hot outside. 
You guys know that, right? If you do know that, by the way, please stop writing it on Facebook like you're surprised. We all know it's hot. Nineveh is a desert city, and it's nasty hot. And Jonah's camp is probably a pretty miserable place because there wasn't much shade. Can you imagine if we decided, let's have service outside right now. Let's set up a lawn chair, but no shade. And it's one of those 110-degree days that we have around here. Not a good idea, right? But God's going to use those desert conditions and a little miracle to help teach Jonah and us a lesson. So God causes a leafy plant to grow up over where Jonah is seated to watch the city. How cool would that be? A little, little, little shelter, little, little plant pavilion grows up around him. And it happens in one day, which tells us God is doing something supernatural. And Jonah has the shade, and he has relief from the sun, and Jonah is glad. Then the next day, God sends a worm, and the worm kills the plant, and Jonah's source of shade dies. Then God sends a hot desert wind to make things even more miserable. So now Jonah has no shade, and he's experiencing one of those days that we have out here when the, the wind makes it feel like you're in an air fryer outside. And, and Jonah feels terrible. He feels faint. He's experiencing heat exhaustion, maybe heat stroke, who knows. And he cries out to God that he wants to die. Now, before we watch God respond to Jonah and teach Jonah a valuable truth, let's just pause and see something we shouldn't miss. God is sovereign. Consider the sovereign power of God over Jonah's circumstances. God sent the plant. God sent the worm. God sent the wind. Back in chapter 1, God sent the storm and sent the fish. In chapter 2, God commanded the fish to spit Jonah out. God is God. God is sovereign and in control over all things. When you think about the Lord, please don't be foolish enough to think that the Lord's power is limited in any way. God can grow a plant overnight. God can kill a plant overnight, which for some of us isn't a miracle. God can send storms and calm seas. God can establish a nation and God can bring down a nation. And God has the power to change hearts and save souls. As we think about the Lord our God Let's not dishonor God so as to pretend that there's any limit to his power. Neither let us think that there are areas of life or nature or government or the universe over which God is not finally and totally in charge. And this is to God's glory. Let's praise God. Let's trust God. Let's remember how great God's power really is and remember that our God has performed and will perform miracles to shape our lives and our world as he wishes. God is sovereign. Now, let's get to the teaching point for Jonah. Point number three. God's mercy is for all people groups. God's mercy is for all people groups. Look at the end of the book, 9 to 11. 
But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God asks Jonah a similar question here to that which was in verse 4. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it good? Is it fitting? Do you do well? Jonah insists that he's in the right to be upset over the death of his shady vine. In fact, he again is suicidally angry over the loss of his vine. And Jonah thinks himself to be in the right. Then comes the lesson. And in many ways, this is the point. This is the lesson of the entire book of Jonah right here. Jonah is upset. He's emotionally distraught over the death of a vine. It's just a plant. Jonah didn't plant it. Jonah didn't tend it. Jonah had nothing to do with making it grow. It lived for a day and then it was gone. But Nineveh, Nineveh is more important than a leafy vine. People are more important than plants. God is showing Jonah that it is right for God to care about Nineveh. Yes, the people of Nineveh were sinners who deserved destruction. Who else in this book was a sinner who deserved destruction? Didn't Jonah? Jonah ran from God and tried to avoid doing the will of God, and God rescued Jonah from certain death. Fact is, God cares for Nineveh. Why? Why does God care for Nineveh? Because God created mankind, all people, in God's image, and God has shown his mercy to all people in the world in one form or another. Every single human being who has ever lived has value in the sight of God because every single human being bears on himself or herself marks of being made by God. Every person has incredible value because every person is made in the image of God for the glory of God. This is why we care deeply about the lives of the unborn. This is why we care deeply for the lives of those approaching the end of their lives. This is why we care deeply for people we think are decent people. And this is why we care deeply for people we don't think are decent people because all people are made in the image of God for the glory of God and have tremendous worth in the eyes of God. Jonah has a fit over the loss of a plant. God's telling Jonah that the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives is more important. In Nineveh, there are more than 120,000 who don't even know their left from their right. This is probably God reminding Jonah that there are a lot of children in that city. And those children have nothing to do with Nineveh's politics. Should God not at least care for them? And, and should God not at least care for the livestock in the city? 
The cattle have done nothing to deserve a fireball from above. Should God not at least care about these thousands upon thousands of lives, the, the people created in God's image for God's glory? Shouldn't God care? That's the end of the book right there. And I've called this, this series of sermons in my own little notes, God's Magnificent Mercy. Jonah, God's Magnificent Mercy. In every chapter of this short book, we've seen the mercy of God on display time and time and time and time again. And here, as this book closes, we're reminded that God's mercy is for all people groups. The people of Israel needed to hear that message. Jonah himself needed that message. God extends his mercy to people from every nation, every social class, every background. God's mercy is not for the physical descendants of Abraham alone. And by the time of Jonah, again, maybe 800 to 750 B.C., give or take, the people of Israel and the people of Judah, they learned to see themselves as the people that God loved. They, they believe God loves us. And they often thought about other nations as people God hated or at best merely tolerated. But that's never been what God says. A faithful look at the Old Testament shows us that God has always had a global plan, a plan to rescue for himself a people made up of people from every nation on earth. God has always intended to show mercy to all people groups. Think about the first time that God gave Abram the promise of the coming Messiah. You can find it in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Here's how it reads. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you hear that last line? All the families of the earth. God said through Abram and later he's going to say through Abraham's offspring, his seed, God will bless all the nations on earth. The people of Israel had become good at thinking about God blessing them and cursing their enemies, but the people of Israel had forgotten that the whole reason God was watching over the people of Israel as a nation was to fulfill his promise of bringing the one descendant of Abram, the one promised one, his promise to send the Messiah. Because the Messiah, Jesus, would be God's blessing on every nation, every people group on earth. What this means for us Christians is that there is no place for any one of us to think that any people group on earth is more or less the people of God. Instead, now that Christ has come, now that Christ has fulfilled God's promises, any person of any ethnicity who comes to Jesus in faith and repentance is saved. 
and any saved person is made into a child of God. There's no longer any room for us to divide based on skin color. There's no room for us to divide based on language group. There's no room to divide based on being male or female. There's no reason to divide based on wealth or social status. If we are in Christ, we are a new people, a new race, a new nation called the people of God. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. The Apostle Paul writes this, For in Christ Jesus... You're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Jonah didn't want God to be merciful to Nineveh because the Ninevites in the past had hurt and threatened his people. Jonah didn't want God to have mercy on Nineveh because Jonah feared that the Ninevites would use their power to hurt his people in the future. But God is clear. He will have mercy on people from any people group who will come to him in faith and repentance. And there is no room for Jonah as a man of God to hold animosity in his heart against those God has shown mercy. Today, there are people all across our nation attempting to divide the church based on skin color and past wrongs. You hear it in the church, you surely hear it in the news media. It's all over college campuses. What God teaches Jonah about his mercy should teach us today, too. There's no room to divide the people of God based on skin color, social class, or previous animosity. Instead, once we're in Christ... We're a new people. This is why the systems of thought that you find in critical race theory are utterly unbiblical because they're utterly unchristian. Critical race theory tells people to remember the past wrongs, emphasize the social divisions, develop a system of hierarchy based on previous injustices. If you've experienced more injustices in the past, you should have more power in the future. God says no. God says that we who are in Christ are one body, one new nation, one new people. All the old divisions pass away once we're adopted into God's family in Christ. Those who preach critical race theory remind us of Jonah. They look like Jonah. They want there not to be mercy for oppressors. But if God had thought that way, there could have never been mercy for Nineveh. Turns out God brings both 
oppressors and the oppressed to repentance. And when God does it, there's no longer any way to rightly divide putting somebody down because of their nation of origin or skin color or because of previous advantages or because of previous disadvantages. It's all anti-gospel. Every bit of it is anti-gospel. When God inspired the writing of the New Testament, he was building a church that was made up of Jews and Gentiles. You've noticed, haven't you? Maybe you've read Hebrews or Galatians or Romans. Each of these people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, both groups had wronged the other groups in the past. At times, each group was the privileged group while the other group was the oppressed group. And God never, not once, suggested that that should be a factor in how they treat one another in the church. Once we are in Christ, we are to lay aside all former identities that we could wear so that we can become a new nation, the people of God. Jonah teaches us God is merciful, God is sovereign, and God's mercy is for all people groups. Any person of any nation who will repent of his sin and turn to God for mercy will find God's mercy. Now here's a question for you. Do you think Jonah got it? Did Jonah learn? Did Jonah repent? The book doesn't tell us. But I like to think that maybe Jonah did. After all, Jonah had to be the one who told us his story. Only a repentant man would be likely to show you how bad his thought process had been. Only a repentant man could show you how God taught him that lesson. So maybe, just maybe, the rebellious prophet did finally understand that people, even people that he formerly hated, can be his brothers under the grace of God. Maybe Jonah believed. Do you? Do you believe? Luke eleven twenty nine to 32 is the last scriptures I'll read for you, I think. Maybe one more, we'll see. Luke eleven twenty nine to 32 says this. When the crowds were increasing, he, this is Jesus, began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Let me ask you, dear friends, to think well about Jesus' words as we close. Something greater than Jonah has come. Jesus has come. 
He's brought a message of repentance for life. All people deserve the judgment and wrath of God for our sins. Only if we run to Jesus, surrendering to him, can we be saved. So I want to remind you that it's a time to repent. Will you repent or will you face the judgment of God? I urge you all, run to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Experience God's magnificent mercy. Let's pray together, friends. Father, as we are here today, we're grateful for your mercy. And I pray that you will make us even more grateful for your mercy. You have done us good, never evil, all the days of our lives. Even the evil and the hardship that we've suffered has never been you wronging us. And your love and your mercy, these are things that in fact show us how we ought to be treating others, how we ought to be receiving others who come to you in faith. God, make us a people who marvel and who rejoice in your mercy. Forgive us our sins, I pray, and grow us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.